Oh, hey, Steve. Oh, hey, Mike. Well, what's wrong, buddy? Well, I, I just got this new water bottle, but it just looks so plain. Well, have I got the store for you. Introducing the Wild Edible World Podcast Merch Store. Wowie wow! It's the merch store where you can get all of your favorite podcasts merch for all your decorating purposes. How do I find that? Go to wildediblewordpod.shopify.com or go to any of our Instagram and media accounts and view the link in the bio. Wowie wow! And we're back on another wonderful episode of the Wild Edible World podcast. I'm Michael, just one of your hosts, kind of having a semi-solo episode today because Steve is still away with his baby. And if you haven't already, make sure you reach out to Steve at Snoop Doggy Dogwood and wish him and his partner a very fine congratulations on uh, their newborn baby and the hard work that they're putting in. So hopefully we'll have him back soon to talk to some really special people. Um, but right now I'm joined in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Well, we're in St. Paul, technically. The Twin Cities <laughs> with Tim Clemens of MN Forager, Minnesota Forager. Thanks so much for joining me, man. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me. Take two, right? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to hit it this time. Um, yeah, Tim has done an awesome job of, uh, spending, you know, a little bit of his gracious time with showing me and my fair wife some of his favorite places and some of the favorite lunch spots to eat at. So, uh, thanks, man. It's been awesome. Yeah. Thanks for showing me a haunted cave. Yeah. Haunted caves are one of my favorite things to do in a tourist destination. We did that shit in Tennessee too. There's like haunted caves there. Same, same stories. Um, kind of the one trick pony, but Hey. I'm I'm cheesy and I like it. So hopefully you like the cheese too. Oh yeah, it was almost toxic levels of cheese, but <laughs> I made it and I'm a better person for it. Yeah, I I think we're all better people for watching that uh show, but yeah, shouts out to the uh the cave the cave woman. <laughs> <laughs> um I wanted to bring you I mean honestly, uh we've been friends for a while, but I definitely wanted to have you on the show to talk about talk talk with your history and like kind of your background as a forager i don't personally know that much about it you've spoken a little bit about a little bit of your uh, heritage and um upbringing um but i'd really love to like hear a little bit more about some of like the stuff we like to ask our foragers which is like uh i guess to start with like what do you remember like the very first foraged thing you ever ate i do i remember like it was yesterday okay i actually was uh outside with my twins so we were feral children you know it was like more of a don't come home until it's uh dark out type of uh childhood and uh we were by this this school morris park in uh my old neighborhood and on the corner of someone's housing lot they had a gooseberry plant i didn't know what it was though at the time i just saw these green berries that had a slightly lighter green striping on Mm -hmm. them and so i took one ate it it was really tart and i didn't die how big were they uh, pretty good size. Yeah, so it was like a cultivated one too. I think so. I yeah. mean, obviously, I'm remembering it through the lens of like my childhood. Sure. But, and but I think it was a decent size. Yeah. So it definitely wasn't like a little tiny one. I had the I had the sense that this was 
this would be good to eat just on like an instinctual sense. Mm-hmm. That's by the way, anyone listening to this, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's something I talk about a lot on the show is that we are like in a survival manner, like genetically we're built to recognize these patterns. Like there's stuff mm-hmm. in us made for us to recognize poisonous and for the most part, toxic substances through flavor or smell. Um, and also in like the way we see things too. So I think that's not, I mean, I think children are incredibly intuitive. Obviously, there's lots of mistakes that happen, but I don't know a single person who's a forager now who didn't uh, grow up eating mulberries or gooseberries or raspberries not knowing what they were. So Yeah, because all the, all the ones that made a mistake aren't around to be foragers yeah. anymore. It's like a little bit of like a survivorship bias, yeah. maybe. Well, there's bold foragers and there's old foragers. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be an old, bold forager. So Same. Yeah. That you can be both. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I was eating that uh, gooseberry and then um, we would also climb into cherry trees. Didn't know they were cherries. Mm. Like truly I had no idea for our entire childhood. I didn't know they were cherries until much later in life when I figured out what a cherry tree was. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'd eat apples, steal rhubarb, uh, just crush the local community gardens. I mean, <laughs> honestly, rabbits truly didn't have shit on us. We would we would just eat everyone's cucumbers and tomatoes. It was great. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's foraging. Oh yeah, hundred percent. That's urban foraging right there, and that's yeah, that's my beginning to urban foraging. I didn't get to the state park to forage until I was probably twenty-five. Yeah, wow. I mean, I am in the city through and through, other than a few like YMCA camps um, growing up, but that's it. What were YMCA camps like for you? Was it like during the day, during the week, or were they stayover camps? They were like stayover camps. Cool. Um, and I can't remember how long they were. They were through initiatives that would help inner city children, uh, you know, get exposed to something that just wasn't, you know, concrete and sidewalks and whatnot. Uh, Minneapolis is extremely good in that front, and Mm -hmm. Minnesota in general, about giving kids a chance to experience nature. So, I mean, I was surrounded by the green wall. I didn't know what things were, but I had a lot of supportive people along the way, you know, whether it was like a kind elderly woman saying like, you know, you seem like you're really at home out here. I remember this like old lady, I don't know her like her name or even where I was, but she was just like, you seem really at home out here. And I was like nine nice. and that always stuck with me for some reason. So you would never have known when I was growing up that I would have survived past 18, but like it all, it all does make a difference. So if you're someone out there doing that for kids and this podcast, for instance, like anybody who hears it, like you are planting a seed. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. That's, that's really touching. I'm glad that, uh, yeah, that there's that evidence of this, you know, like a little thing making that big of a difference too. Because yeah. um, I think we could, uh, I mean, for very, very different reasons, we could look at both of our childhoods and neither one of us, you couldn't uh, lay out a plan uh, in any realm of your imagination where we ended up um, perhaps where we are. Um, I know that I had an incredibly uh, nature aversive childhood. I was video game kid inside all the time. Like I had out, you know, I had my imagination outside, but that was like a stick in a lawn, you know, (laughs) and and, and one tree to climb. There wasn't like uh, a diversity of plants or, you know, something to make you curious. Um, I was just stuck out there. Um, So I think that's really awesome that, and and thank you for saying that the podcast maybe hopefully has that impact too, because that is kind of the hope so yeah um we went to one of the places we went to that was really really special i just want to make sure before i forget that we shout out is uh urban forage that was such a really cool place to have a few drinks at um what's the name of the gentleman that uh operates it jeff uh, jeff yep 
Jeff at Urban Forge. Uh, if you guys are ever in Minneapolis or in the Twin Cities area, um, definitely try to make your way over to Urban Forge. That is in Minneapolis proper, right? Or yep. is it in St. Paul? It's right on at Lake Street. Lake Street, Minneapolis. Um, it's kind of definitely a hidden gem. There's a lot of construction and stuff going on right now, so they could really use your support, um, especially whenever it's a business doing something uh, something that like we we find I think is incredibly special uh, hand foraged ingredients um, really really it's one honestly the best uh, result of use with aronia I've ever enjoyed yeah I mean their red velvet melomel and then their beet and aronia yeah the beet uh, and aronia was wild so good yeah it was so good they and always was, have stuff like that too mm-hmm, yeah. yeah and they uh, they're known for their marigold right it was the or honey toast. Honey toast. Yeah. That was the last thing we tried, yep. which was like, okay, so is that honey toast or is it toasted honey? A little bit of both. Can't tell. Yeah. It's delicious either way, right? Yeah. And they have so many things. We couldn't even list them all. Yeah. And it's always rotating too. Okay. I mean, Jeff is always creating you know, new creations and he forages almost all of it from St. Paul and Minneapolis. So. Awesome. He has, he's built a lot of relationships in the community. Gotta love it. And that's what it's all about too. I mean, that's one of the things so in the first few episodes of this podcast we don't ever really recommend that people start at the beginning but that's definitely something we wanted to emphasize is the importance of community in the foraging world especially uh nobody can go out there and do all this stuff on their own i mean alone is a crazy show um and the reason it's entertaining is the struggle and distress and horrible conditions that people go through in order to try and survive um and i don't nobody wants to do that we all want to be happier together i would i would hope um Okay, but before I get on back on, on a soapbox and start waxing poetically, let's. <laughs> what, what were you doing this morning? Oh, what was I doing this morning? Yeah, I what was did you do? Training for a half Ironman. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. Oh, so that was okay. So I thought you were just gonna say, "Well, I swam across the lake." Like, yeah, we swam across was, Lake Nakamas, me and my twin. Yeah. We'd never done it before. I mean, honestly, growing up your whole life being at that lake and wondering if you could swim across it and turns out there's a whole group of people that actually do it so uh <laughs> like all the time yeah we joined that group this morning hmm. and we got these little swim caps and that was fun really tough to put on with long hair yeah i bet like yeah. they're the rubber skin oh you, you would have no chance Michael. not even a you're little. not getting that go- those gorgeous logs under that too fluffy yeah no way too fluffy uh but yeah you i didn't die I, I survived you got the cap on yeah wow i survived both the cap yeah that- <laughs> And the swim, <laughs> the crushing pressure of the cap, and the crushing stress from your potential uh, unaliving of coming a- going across. I mean, you weren't. Was it really that scary? It's not that deep. Is the scariest it? part was that I drank about a cup of water, probably. Nice. So I, I, my horrors are still unfolding. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, there could be things happening inside of me right now. <laughs> but the government said the water was fine, oh, Tim. Yeah. No. I don't believe it wasn't okay yesterday, but it's fine today. (laughs) Gosh. Well, uh, you know, hesitations aside, uh, that's pretty impressive. Good for you for doing that. That's pretty cool. I wish I had a little bit more motivation to uh, what time was it? What time are you out there in the water? 930. 930. Mm -hmm. What was I doing? Getting out of bed? Waking up, maybe going and buying a cup of coffee or something. So, cheers to that, man. Hey, koalas sleep for like 22 hours a day, and I, I don't judge them for it. <laughs> and they look great. Yeah, they look phenomenal. They look awesome. They got Abs- those weepy red eyes. and It's what animal perfection looks like. You might not like it, but that's what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, it's peak koala performance. <laughs> Deal with it. Yeah. Um, at that, I think we'll. this is our, kind of our halfway point. We'll take a break, uh, hydrate a little bit, 
and then we'll come back and uh, maybe we'll eat some electric daisies or something. Okay. <laughs> I... What's wrong, buddy? Well, I just realized this mushroom supplement I bought isn't actually made with mushrooms. It's made with something called myceliated grain? Myceliated grain? Oh, oh no! no! I'm sorry to tell you, buddy, but myceliated grain is a sure sign of a poor-quality mushroom supplement. Well, dang. I wanted mushrooms, not brown rice. What should I do? Well, you should support a small-batch producer from right here in the Midwest. Kiwino Apothecary. Kiwino Apothecary? Tell me more. Kiwina Apothecary specializes in high-quality mushroom extracts from Michigan, and they always use real mushrooms, never, never, never myceliated grain. That sounds like exactly what I've been looking for. Where can I order? Well, you can find them at kiwinaapothecary.etsy.com. That's K-E-W-E-E-N-A-W apothecary.etsy.com. Be sure to read their many excellent reviews. Thanks, buddy. I don't want no low-quality mushroom products from a factory. I want Kiwina Apothecary. Wowie, wow! Oh, hey, Steve. Oh, hey, Mike. Well, what's wrong, buddy? Well, I, I just got this new water bottle, but it just looks so plain. Well, have I got the store for you. Introducing the Wild Edible World Podcast Merch Store. Wowie, wow! It's the merch store where you can get all of your favorite podcasts merch. For all your decorating purposes. How do I find that? Go to wildedibleworldpod.shopify.com or go to any of our Instagram and media accounts and view the link in the bio. Wowie wow! Thanks for listening to our ads. We're back on the Wild Edible World podcast. It's me and Tim. Hi, Tim. What's up? <laughs> uh, we're just chilling. Uh, Tim has a does a lot of really cool work, uh, kind of cultivating a bunch of different garlic species. He's got a, a Sunchoke Mountain, um, un- unkillable, unstoppable Sunchoke army that's eventually going to cause a coup on their grower and. Uh, probably take your life it's already spreading into two other yards <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're a hazard yep uh, but among those crops you have a really interesting one that uh you say is pretty underrated uh, underutilized and probably pretty underknown uh in the gardening community at large i don't see anybody else talking about them the electric daisy yeah when people talk about them they only talk about them for, because they look pretty hmm. um but yeah this is uh the electric daisy or buzz button uh, it used to go by the old name Spilanthes, but now it's Acmella is the genus. Oh, so it's gone through some changes. It seems to. Yep. So typically you'll find it in garden stores under that Spilanthes name. Oh. But if you look up Acmella oleracea, that's the uh, you know modern name for it. Sure. Because yeah. if they change the name now, people won't buy them. And they'll be like, oh, it's a different plant or something probably. Yeah, probably. I mean, something. people don't... I, f- I feel like a lot of gardeners, especially like edible gardeners, don't really care about something's binomial name. Like I couldn't name you... Well, I, hold on, I'm trying to think of one that I don't know. <laughs> what, like cantaloupe? Yeah. Like, what's cantaloupe's binomial? No idea. Okay. I'm yeah, not a garden know. person. 
I, I was at, I was pointing at peppers and being like, "Is that so?" Uh, you know, I said I had some stupid questions. <laughs> hey, out no, you asked if it was potatoes. Yeah, and same family, so you can actually eyeball with great latitude the Solanum genus. This is true, but uh, well, okay. Thank you for the redeeming quality. Um, anyway, electric daisies. We I let no couple. humble brag go unpunished. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's good. <laughs> um, so the leaves. Do the leaves have the same effect as the flower? They do, just not as strong. Oh. Okay, yeah. so the flower is where all that. What about the seeds? Uh, I don't know about the seeds. Okay, I have eaten seedy ones, but in the flower head, so you know you're already getting overwhelmed. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess yeah. I'm gonna eat one, and let's let's talk about what happens. I'll join you. Right off the bat, it tastes like um, oh man, something I've eaten before. Oh my god! But then it immediately just ramps up. And it's it's like, holy shit! Oh yeah, it is electric. It is like so brightly sour on the, and I'm salivating like crazy. I'm about to start. Okay, so I tried a little bit of this. Oh. <laughs> I can't whole, even talk. A whole head is way more insane. It's not even like painfully sour. It is just such an overwhelming sensation, and there's so much saliva building up in my mouth. I'm about to drown. Uh, yeah, it is a sialagog, so it makes you salivate. Woo! Oh, and it like, oh, it's extremely sour, but without. It's not the same sour as citrus. Mm-hmm. You know, it bypasses that entirely. I can barely talk. It is like a, a, a lightning sour, and it is not in my mouth anymore, and it's just still going. It lasts like 15 minutes. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> the uh I took a nibble of a flower earlier and it was not like this at all. It was way more subdued. It's almost like salty sour. Yeah. It is uh Oh nice. Yeah. Really really delicious. I love it. But it is so so intense. Um it's uh, you were explaining earlier it's like like the American peppercorn but like way more intense and then it's got like actually more vibrant flavor whereas People like the Szechuan peppercorn and American peppercorn, uh, prickly ash, um, because of that mouth-numbing stuff. But it doesn't have, like, this... It's This is like that on steroids. Absolutely. I need a little sip of... Sippy sip. Yeah, the good thing about uh, Electric Daisies is you can get off the ride when you want to, as long as you just drink something. It'll kind of stop you at that level. Oh, my God. It did just go away. Mm-hmm. That's all it took, is just a little bit of fizzy drink? Yep. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, LaCroix. Doing electric daisy. Yeah. Ooh, holy crap. But you, then how we put like one flower in like 10,000 gallons. Seriously. Yeah. Imagine a drink made with that or what? what so what are your plans to you? How, how do you plan on using it? Well, as you pointed out earlier, uh, I am a goblin and I just <laughs> kind of hoard, <laughs> hoard things that will be useful for another day. That day rarely comes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what I'm going to do with these. I would like to potentially do an infused alcohol with them. Uh, I know you can make tea. I know the leaves, you know, are used as a vegetable in Peru and Bolivia. Um, so I just got to track down some uses. Right okay. now, I just love using it as like a, hey, like a party check this out. party trick. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. That's really cool. Yeah, you do really have a impressive, uh, excuse me, um, stock of uh, dried things. And I thought I, <laughs> I thought I was a goblin and I, I bowed to the goblin king. <laughs> <'cause>, <laughs> uh, 
yeah, I don't have a cellar to expand in. See, I might be able to be the prince or something in a year or two, but uh, yeah, you have the space that I don't. So it's like I would. That's how. That's how my basement would look too. It's just like that shelf full of dried goods. I mean, it wasn't all dried. It was like some canned stuff. You do all that stuff. I mean, as a forager, we both uh, preserve in whatever way possible, right? Yep. Lots of jams down there. Lots of maple syrup. Mm-hmm. Pickles. Oh, you make your own maple syrup too, right? Yep. We tap about twelve trees in the backyard here. That's awesome. So we get anywhere from two to five gallons of syrup every year. Cool. As I slowly lose my mind watching water evaporate. Yeah. 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 That's uh, another one of those community activities where it's like, yeah, you should be able to like tap in, tap out like a couple people at a time. That's tough. I mean, it was kind of the same deal whenever we were cooking the beaver at the Great Lakes Foragers gathering. Like not one person can sit there in that tent for two to four hours, uh, billowing smoke surrounding you, poking a beaver, making sure it spins correctly for four hours. Not only <laughs> nice. would you probably get heat stroke, but you would lose your mind. Um, so... My nose is running, and I can still feel like a lot of that, like citrusy, that sour zing. That is such an interesting plant. Uh, definitely, I want to get some seeds and see if I can get oh, some going on the. Yeah, it produces a ton of seeds. I mean, honestly, one plant. If you grow one plant, you'll get enough seed to give all of your friends seeds. Nice. And it's incredibly prolific, but not invasive up here, so it doesn't do well on its own. So we both had, I think, like pretty uh, contrasting childhoods uh, compared to the lifestyle we leave, lead now. Um, you mentioned a woman that said something about how you seemed so at home outdoors. Can you think of uh, a particular pivot in your life that made you uh, focus on foraging more? I think everything's a process. Um, yeah. So to, we always do kind of go back to a moment, right? Because mm-hmm. moments are also important. Mm-hmm. Like thresholds are important. Um, but I would say if I, when I first became like a forager on purpose, it was, you know, I was in my early 20s. I had no purpose in life. Pretty sad at the time and uh, did not like people. And yeah. so, the op, you know, in a Western cultural sense, I guess the opposite of people is nature. So... You just go out there because it doesn't judge you, and you also can't control it. And that's a powerful thing, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can just be truly vulnerable out there. Mm-hmm. And so that started with me. Um, I, I got out there because I was learning Ojibwe language. And we had to do a project um, and do an Ojibwe activity and write a paper about it. So it was sugar bush time of the year. So, you know, very early spring or late winter. Um, and so you're making maple syrup or uh, which is maple, uh, maple sap boiling place in Ojibwe. And so I was sitting out there losing my mind for the first time though, which is always special. <laughs> That's a good song. That sounded like a song. <laughs> losing my mind for the first time. Yeah. I hate this time. <laughs> it's very Midwest emo. You could have yeah. like a, a talking intro from a show or something. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I was sitting there and I just, just got such peace from it. Of course, I didn't know what it was going to be at the mm. time, but mm. sometimes it's just nice to just follow the good, the good feels. And so I said, hmm, I'll probably do this again. But then I started looking around as well, and I noticed, hey, those trees, were not tapping those. What are those? They told me they were basswood. I was like, okay, cool. We got two trees that I know now. <laughs> uh, okay, what is that plant? It's still green. Why, why are plants green in the winter? They're not supposed to be doing that, right? It turned out to be garlic mustard. Yeah. So it was a good chance to tell me, like, hey, it's not supposed to be here. I was like, what do you mean it's not supposed to be here? Yeah. Someone planted on How your land? How do you know? Yeah. Yeah. They explained, hey, that's invasive. And I was like, no way. 
<laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> oh, uh, word? Yeah. <laughs> oh, word. Um, so here's me never having a garden or anything like that, but always having like this kind of unspoken connection with nature. Um, just starting to make it slowly forming it into a process. Hmm. And so then the next year, I mean, that year, then it, luckily it was at the start of the year. So I just had that interest and suddenly it blossomed with the earth yeah. and the natural rhythms. Mm-hmm. And that took me through that whole first year and I was just hooked and I became a fanatic and it became the only thing I did. I quit all my sports. I quit all my other hobbies and I just decided this is going to be my life now. Then that next year I tried to get into mushroom hunting, which was hard because mm-hmm. it's always gate kept like hell. Yeah. It's not. Not so much anymore. This was this is over ten years ago now, mm-hmm. but so the culture has changed a lot. So also everybody doing that, thank you because you're helping a lot of people get an experience that people were not letting people have back yeah. in the day. Right? Well, and and again, yeah, that gatekeeping only serves to uh, you know that doesn't help anybody. It doesn't even help the people gatekeeping it. Um, right. So yeah, and so yeah, it just uh, just spiraled out of control, and then I gave myself. Like I did it and I was, I got pretty good at it quick, which is, you know, I think nobody knows about foraging really. They do more so now, but it's really easy to get good quickly. Yeah. And then I thought, Hey, maybe, maybe I can do something for a living. Uh, maybe I can quit working at a factory. Maybe I can quit working at a restaurant mm-hmm. and I gave myself a five year plan and then I just studied even harder, lived it even harder and yep. COVID when that happened on April 4th, 2020, that was also my quit date to start ironwood foraging full time. Wow. So it worked out perfectly. So there's tons of synchronicity in mm-hmm. my life as regards to foraging and mm-hmm. it's never led me wrong. It's only done good by me. And now it's bringing me back to people, which I'm finding is incredibly important. So yeah. that's the healing journey and I've loved every second of it. That's awesome. Yeah. And I this think- is part of that. Yeah, it is. Thanks for sharing <laughs> that with me, man. Uh, it's really nice to hear that. Yeah, that that journey. I'm curious, like, why why you why were you or through what were you learning Ojibwe to begin with? Yeah, uh, so you can learn Ojibwe at the University of Minnesota, um, any one of their campuses, but you can also learn it at language tables. So if anybody's listening and you want to learn Ojibwe language, you if you're not in Minnesota, mm-hmm. you can go on online and look at the Ojibwe's People's Dictionary. It's free online talking dictionary. And oh wow! I stump for it every year at the state fair, so I always have a booth, and I tell people about it. Oh, really? Yep. You set up a booth and like you sell. Yeah, the... with the U of M, and I and I staff it along with like the writer of the dictionary, Dr. John Nichols. Wow. Yeah, I cool. mean it's a fantastic effort. So you can hear Ojibwe words sounded out because oftentimes they're fairly long words or you don't know how to pronounce them. Well, this takes out the guesswork. So yeah, well, and there's lots of accents uh, and you know the shapes over the letters that. Uh, are completely foreign to most English speakers. So, yeah. Oh, and especially if you get into like say Cree syllabics, which is lots of triangles and circles, and there's no way to know how to like pronounce that unless huh. you get into the pronunciations in the, uh, you know, the double vowel system written in Latin alphabet first. So yeah, and then Dakota, I feel, is even harder. So we have like Dakota and Ojibwe here, um, mm. among others in Minnesota, but the two main ones are Dakota and Ojibwe. And Dakota, I don't know how to pronounce that. There's no like there's no like skills that are transferable between the two i feel but, okay yeah so basically around like st paul and minneapolis it's mostly dakota names oh yep well thanks for that yeah um where uh so you do all sorts of classes around the twin twin cities right so you teach foraging in minneapolis and uh st paul i do so you through out any further ironwood or? foraging company i 
do about an hour radius from Minneapolis. Okay. So, you know, that's Minneapolis, St. Paul, but sometimes I go down to Rochester, Minnesota. I don't make it up all the way to Duluth, unfortunately, um, but I'll go out to like St. Cloud and everything. So really this whole area. Um, but then I'll also teach, you know, in Wisconsin or at the conferences that we both go to yeah absolutely yeah Yeah, you'll catch tim at the midwest wild harvest festival this year if you manage to snag a ticket within the first two hours of it being on sale or whatever yeah Yeah. um fortunately i was uh one of those attendees so i'll I'll, I'll look forward to taking one of your classes and learning some more from you uh because you are so so very knowledgeable and uh very fun to learn from you were uh, basically one of the first people that I heard from using like oak leaves or I think it was maple leaves throughout the entire year, like even whenever they're brown, just kind of like to make like a, a kind of astringent tea or a bit of a, uh, you know, still kind of utilizing those tannins that are in there. They're not like, it's not poisonous. It's just a different beverage. Um, and that kind of really, that's something that I remember that was like unlocked the rest of the possibilities <laughs> that was like, I'm well, I never even asked about that like now i'm kind of thinking about all these other leaves that are all around us so that was certainly an unlocking moment for me um so thanks for all the work you do around the twin cities and the uh the outreach and the communication that you do with your community here um it's really awesome and it's so so inspiring you have an awesome sense of humor too i'm glad you're back (laughs) into people because you're fun as hell uh and i've had a really great time and really enjoyed being your friend so thank you for uh, being so warm and so cool and so pretty and <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, Thank you, Michael. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely check out. It's uh, Ironwood Foraging, right? Yes. Ironwoodforaging.com. Dot com. And that's where they can sign up for all your classes and see where else you'll be. Correct. And the best way probably also is social media. So I'm yep. typically at MN Forager uh, on Instagram and TikTok. Yep. Um and then I'll post like dates on there typically. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much for doing this show with us, Tim. Uh, we'd love to, next time we run into you again, maybe uh, we, we can have Steve with us and have another conversation because um, he brings a lot to the table that like, I'm kind of a space guy. I'm just like, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> hey, um, <me> Steve, <laughs> Steve also always has like some really good questions. So I definitely miss him. Um, and we look forward to talking to you again, man. Cool. Look forward to it. Thank you. Yeah, we did it.